Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Namano and Table Read present Love and Darkness, based on the incredible and brave stories of the true Vesicucha, Joseph Braun, and his family. Love and Darkness by Sonny Postiglione. Exterior forest, Ukrainian steppes, day. A dense forest, thick with pine and spruce. A pair of doves take flight just as a saiga antelope bursts from the trees. The antelope scans the area, locates a patch of foliage to supper on. Mid-gnaw, the antelope's ears pop back. Nose sniffs, sensing danger. Quickly he clambers off as... A column of uniformed men, 200 in number under the watchful eyes of Hungarian soldiers on horseback, march into frame, over which a Chiron appears. Hungarian-Russian border, June 25th, 1941. The uniformed men are Hungarian Jews. Some wear yarmulkes, all carry pickaxes and shovels. They are members of the Hungarian Army's forced labor battalions. Conscripted Hungarian Jews, no longer allowed to serve in combat, due to Hungary's anti-Jewish laws. The Jewish men are exhausted and worn down, but will themselves to keep moving. Exterior Ukrainian forest, night. With our column of Jewish men marching up the side of a hill, Ben, 40s, turns to Moshe, 70, struggling to keep up. Tim Pengo, they'll have us digging in a coal mine. Ukraine's rich in coal. March me to the gates of hell as long as there's bread and soup. The regiment commander, 28, baby-faced aristocrat, passes the column on horseback. Settle yourself. The encampment's just on the far side of this hill. Find Avram Katz, 47, imposingly tall and handsome. Father, leader, rabbi, a non-orthodox rabbi. No pious side curls, no beard. Avram's a neolog rabbi. A beat as Avram barely notices Ben sidle up next to him. Do you think it's a coal mine, Rabbi? I think no matter where they march us, there won't be bread and soup at the end. Avram shoots a glance over at Moshe as Ben takes this grim fact in. The column continues to march. After a moment... I heard you recently became a grandfather. Mazel tov. My eldest son had a boy, Janos. Moshe interjects. He chose a Hungarian name? The boy's a Jew. He's also a Hungarian. Not to them. Moshe indicates the regiment commander who spurs his horse and rides to the front of the column. As the Jewish men reach the top of the hill, the pops and thunder of explosions can be heard. They exchange frightened looks as their destination becomes clearer. What the men see in the valley below sends a chill down their collective spines. Thousands of jittery soldiers are formationed behind columns of tanks, jeeps, and motorized bicycles. We recognize their uniforms as the same uniform worn by our labor battalion's regiment commander. That 
That's the second Hungarian Karpat division. We're at the front. The Jewish men look behind the Hungarian lines as Hungarian artillery commanders shout barely audible instructions to subordinates while assessing the range of the Russian army positions five kilometers away. Blast after blast of incoming Russian artillery fire checkers the field. At the top of the hill on Avram, Ben and Moshe, as they quietly take in the scope of the conflict. All three are clearly shaken, though Avram for his own reasons. Avram and Ben exchange a look. I'd forgotten the sound of battle. A blast explodes a supply truck, turning it into a smoldering fireball, sending flame shards at the Hungarian soldiers within its proximity. The soldiers' uniforms catch fire, dozens burn alive. Their desperate screams echo. Back to Avram, Ben, and Moshe as they gasp at this horrid sight. I'd forgotten the sound of battle. Fear God. Be wary of man. Exterior battlefield, a few moments later. Avram's labor battalion marches behind the Hungarian lines as Russian artillery continues its onslaught. A deafening explosion pops overhead. The Jewish men take cover. On your right! Out of the way! The Jewish men step aside as two Hungarian soldiers carrying a stretcher rush toward the rear of the column. Avram sees a wounded officer on the stretcher, clocking bloody stumps where his legs should be. Tense whispers among the scared Jewish men. What's going on? The regiment commander rides back to the group and veers to a halt, converging with a runner, 20, to discuss orders. From their heated exchange and the look on the regiment commander's face, something's wrong. Company, attention. The Jewish men brace themselves. Drop your tools. We march for the right flank. Double step. We don't need our tools. Avram and the others toss their tools aside. Tracking with Avram, Ben, and Moshe, and two companies of the labor battalion as they march through a forest in double time toward the Hungarian right flank. After a brisk jaunt, the Jewish men reach their destination, the forest's tree line, where a group of Hungarian officers commiserate over a set of battlefield maps. Beyond the tree line is a field of tall grass, untouched by combat. Company, halt! Avram, Ben, and Moshe watch the regiment commander confer privately with the Hungarian major. Avram then begins reciting a Hebrew prayer to himself. Will prayer put food in your belly or save you from dying tonight? I don't pray for myself. I pray for my sons and their sons, that they may be well and I see them once again. We can pray for your children if you wish. A waste of prayers. My sons, bad seeds, every one of them. There are no bad sons, only bad fathers. <laughs> Moshe laughs off the insult. Ben listens closely. <laughs> My oldest boy's a coward. I should pray for him. He's still your firstborn. His mother took her own life. She was sick. The doctors called it schizophrenia, yet he blames me. Prayers weren't heard for that woman, Rabbi, and prayers for your sons or mine are the hollowest of words to a soured god. The regiment commander gives a stiff salute to the major, then turns his horse toward the company. The regiment commander handpicks five men from the front of the column of the Jewish labor battalion, then turns, face ashen, 
The, the, the commander just ordered five labormen to march forward. March? That's it? On Avram, Ben, and Moshe, slowly making their way up to the front of the column to see five Jewish men, shoulder to shoulder, tentatively walking into the field. Avram pans through the field and sees. Ten yards into the field lies the destroyed remains of the wounded officer's horse, the one carried on the stretcher, and the soldier's missing legs. Avram realizes just as, boom, a landmine explodes, killing one of the Jewish men, sending his lower body and torso in opposite directions. Another man breaks into a run, but only makes it a few feet before he too steps on a mine. The explosion launching his body further into the field and detonating a second mine upon its landing. Then one after the other, the remaining three Jewish men die in mine explosions, leaving an eerie silence. The rest of the Jewish men gulp and agitate, now realizing they're being ordered to clear a minefield. The Hungarian soldiers level their rifles at the group to settle the growing panic. Next. One, two, three, four. Avram steps out of formation. Rabbi, Commander, no. please. Five. Don't do this. The Russians are breaking through our center and we've been ordered to clear this field for the German first Panzer army. You Jews wish to be treated like Hungarians, Rabbi? Now's your chance to fight for your country. Fight? Most of us did fight in the Great War when Hungary was mother to us all. This is not fighting. It's madness. You're a young man. Would you have such deaths on your conscience? The regiment commander's demeanor appears to soften. Then... You think too highly of my conscience. Line up! Avram doesn't move. Instead, closes his eyes to pray. I said line up! Allow the fool his prayers. I'll march in his place. Avram's eyes snap open, ready to protest Moshe's gesture. But Moshe shoves him aside and steps forward. Suit yourself, old man, but this field is wide and the rabbi will march. No exceptions. As Moshe takes his place with the other four men, he turns to Avram. Perhaps it's best I can't save you. I know it must infuriate you to be in debt to a man like me. Then Moshe and the four other Jewish men begin tentatively walking forward into the field. Moshe stops for a moment, turns back to Avram, eyes filled with tears. Bullets fired from an officer's sidearm whistle through the grass. Moshe puts up his hands. Okay, okay. Stay on Moshe as he takes a few steps. Off screen, we hear the pop of a mine detonating. Then another, and another, and finally the last one, signaling the death of the four other Jewish men walking with Moshe. Only Moshe's left. He might reach the other side of the minefield. He might live. Might. Then... Boom. The explosion throws motion backwards in a cloud of smoke and blood. He lands out of sight in the tall grass. On Avram, eyes tearing, hit with a wave of emotion. An eerie silence sets in as Avram looks out into the minefield. Father. Slammed to black. Two weeks earlier. Ah! 
Over black, we hear the sounds of a baby crying. Interior cat's family barn, night. Absent are spales of hay and farm equipment in favor of party decorations and trays of Hungarian Jewish delicacies. Dozens of well-dressed regular folk gather around a table. At the head of the table, we find Avram, wearing a talus, standing next to his firstborn Isaac, 24, loyal, consistent, and reliable. Next to Isaac is his wife, Bella, 20, a simple farm girl with dreams of being a bon vivant. Their son, eight-day-old Janos, rests on a white pillow, crying profusely. As Avram recites a Hebrew prayer, Isaac pins down Janos's flailing legs. Janos, stop crying. I'm sorry he's so finicky, Papa. He barely slept last night. Would you? Knowing tomorrow someone was going to cut your schmeckle? Angle on Sari Katz, 40, and Eden Katz, 14. Sari is Avram's wife. She runs their house with a doting yet firm hand. Eden's one of their daughters, a gifted musician with a gentle spirit. Sari checks the barn door, then turns to Eden. Where's Dolph? He said he was going in town to pick up a gift. Back to Avram and Isaac as Avram draws the caveller, wrist knife. But as Avram inches the sharp blade closer, about to cut, Isaac's nerves set in. He grows woozy, heals over and vomits. Isaac attempts to gather himself under a chorus of good-natured laughs from the guests. <laughs> it appears the father's finicky, too. As Isaac regains his legs, he looks to Avram, bewildered. As you say it, I realize I'm a father now. How will I know what to do? I barely know what to do for myself. Some of your children will be timid, some strong, some wild things. Be a good man, and you'll be a good father. Isaac considers his crying son. The room falls magically silent as he lifts the boy into his arms and sings him the classic Hungarian lullaby, Tente Baba Tente. Sleep, baby, sleep, close your eyes, sleep, tilting, lilting, little rosebud, the violin is sleeping. Under which Janos has fallen fast asleep. Isaac places Janos gently on the white pillow. Avram cuts the foreskin. Mazeltov! The guests respond. Rose of Thirties, the family's nurse, wearing a rosary bead bracelet, walks over, takes Janos and nods to Avram. Mazeltov! At the barn's entrance, we find Dove, 22, Avram's third oldest. Dove is the family darling, the one who excels at everything he does. Sari approaches Dove. No gift could be so meaningful as to miss your nephew's bris. That would depend on the gift. A stocky man enters the barn holding a small duffel bag. This is Wolf, 23, Avram's second oldest son. Wolf's gruff, less polished than his brother's. He's a rebel, but a rebel with the cause, Zionism. Sari covers her mouth as tears of joy emerge. His presence tonight was hoped for, but not expected. Wolf. Sari runs over to Wolf, hugging him as only a mother could. Wolf breaks the embrace that makes eye contact with Isaac, who, like his mother, is a complete shock at his arrival. Oh, forgive me, brother. I smell like petrol and cow shit. <laughs> Isaac laughs as he and Wolf converge for an emotion-filled hug. Avram looks to Wolf and smiles. His boy is home. 
his sons reunited. Prelap, Benny Goodman's In the Mood, Interior Cat's Family Bar Night, The Post Briss Reception, Music, Food, Dancing, Sari, Isaac, and Dove surround Wolf. Sari's tears continue to flow. The last time you were killed over in such a state? We're outside that swing bar in Pesh. Fatherhood breeds nerves. And as I recall, you were right beside me in that same sorry state. Bella, Isaac's wife, approaches and hands over Janos to Isaac. Say hello to your nephew, Janos. I see his papa's eyes. And ears. Handsome. Like his Uncle Wolf. Yeah, and on pace to be as chubby. My grandson's appetite is perfectly healthy for a newborn. Then what's your excuse, Wolf? <laughs> Wolf smiles, considers Janos affectionately. Janos. May God bless him from Tora to Hora. Where is he? Slamming into Wolf with an aggressive hug is Devora. 18. Avram's oldest daughter with her younger sister Eden in tow. Devora's beautiful, whimsical, and wild. A force of nature. As she pats Wolf's belly. I missed you so. And it appears there's more of you to miss. Isaac and Dove shoot a look to Wolf. The only food left in the south of France is mutton. Ew, mutton's too gamey. Eden, I stumbled across this in Lyon. Judy Garland sings on it. Wolf presents a 78 RPM record to Eden, the Wizard of Oz. I love her. I can't wait to listen. Devora grabs Eden by the arm. Eden. Come on, dance with me. What? How? Eden, I'm talking. Talk to him later. This is my song. Every song is her song. Wolf studies Devorah as she drags Eden away. The sisters cross out as Avram approaches. Wolf stiffens, nervous. Papa? Avram warmly considers his son, then draws Wolf in for a hug. A sense of relief washes over Avram as they separate. Six months and not a single letter. I intended to write. Then why didn't you? Perhaps I didn't want my penmanship or my politics chastised. It's not your penmanship that can get you killed. Wolf redirects the conversation, indicates Dove. This one's beginning Debrison in the fall. Admiral Horthy allows a Jew into medical school. The right must be screaming progressive. There'll be a doctor in the family. You must be proud. I am proud of all my sons, Hushka. Wolf allows himself a smile. Approaching now is Uncle Yehuda, 43, a butcher by trade, and his dutiful wife, Ruth, 35. Uncle Yehuda is Avram's younger brother. He's carrying a giant gift box with a blue bow. It's an unassembled crib. My boy. Uncle Yehuda and Ruth. Uncle Yehuda slides the box over to Isaac. Isaac, take this. Mazel tov. What a lavish gift, Uncle. It's from Grandpa Moshe. My gift was schlepping it all the way from Budapest. I hope your wife likes it. It looks expensive. I have no doubt she'll love it. Avram? Uncle Yehuda leads Avram over to the side, out of the family's earshot. He asks for you. His first great-grandchild and he doesn't attend the bris? The old man knows he's not welcome, but he sends his words. Uncle Yehuda presents an envelope. Avram's hesitant to accept it. Take it, so I can have a glass of wine. Avram grabs the envelope and considers it. 
As Uncle Yehuda moves off, Avram looks up, sees Sari staring back at him with an uneasy look. Interior Cat's family barn, night. Behind a serving table, Isaac cube cuts a loaf of challah as Wolf holds court with Dove and Sari. Sur de la Résistance, Libération sort. Our group smuggles them submachine guns, grenades, pistols, anything we can get our hands on, and they pay well. Same thing with the Poland, with the Polish Home Army. But we don't take the money from Poles. Them, we trade. Trade for what? Under which Isaac tosses Wolf a piece of challah. Wolf tastes it delicious. He nods approvingly to Sari, then answers Isaac. Guns for Jews. Those who have escaped from the ghetto. Dove checks his watch, nervously, then... <clears throat> I hear Germany's advanced almost 200 miles into Russia. Where'd you hear that? The BBC. As Avram walks over. It's almost impossible to believe. Hitler caught them completely by surprise. Whole armies are surrendering. There's a joke on the front. The only Germans dying in Russia are from gonorrhea. <laughs> Rumors speak of Hungary invading Russia from the south. Invade Russia? Impossible. It's already begun. The second's mechanized Carpath division is being moved into the Ukraine as we speak. At that moment, Sari notices an attractive young woman, 22. We'll come to know her as Inga, standing at the barn's entrance. Isn't that the carpenter's daughter? Inga. Inga's eyes land on Dove, sending him a powerful romantic gaze. A gaze he noticeably returns. Dove steps away to greet Inga. Avram turns to Isaac. The girl shopped in the store once. She bought a wedge of brie. Thank Hashem, his tastes improved. Remember his high school sweetheart? Isaac makes a face. She wasn't attractive. But under the weight of Avram's scrutinous stare, Isaac reverts from being a playful brother to his father's son. She was Jewish. As this notion echoes, Sari, Isaac, and Wolf look to Avram on how best to proceed. We should welcome her. Avram takes Sari by the hand and leads her toward Dove and Inga. Isaac and Wolf exchange a look. Then Wolf pulls out a flask from his breast pocket and takes a squid. Isaac indicates the flask. Wolf passes it over. Polish whiskey. Isaac takes a long swig himself. Interior Cat's family barn a few moments later. Dove ushers Inga into the party. She's a bundle of nerves. Is this dress appropriate for... Briss, it's perfect. Avram and Sari approach, all smiles. Inga, these are my parents, Avram and Sari Katz. Thank you for coming. Rabbi Katz, Mother Katz, that's a beautiful dress. I made it myself. I I wasn't sure if it was appropriate for, uh, Briss. So you're a dressmaker? No, my fingers are too thin for sewing. I just finished my first year of nursing school. An awkward moment of silence, then. I want her to try your challah. She and my Aunt Ruth, they make the dough from scratch. Sounds delicious. It was nice finally meeting both of you. Dove leads Inga away. Avram watches them go. At least she's tall. She said, finally. Finally. Has it been that long under our noses? A long beat as both Avram and Sari take in Inga's presence and what it ultimately means. Sandor, 12, one of Avram and Sari's younger children, comes over. Papa, can I taste some wine? Avram, distracted by his anger toward Dove, delivers it hot. 
No, Sandor, you're too young. Sandor nods, then mopes away, hangdog. Avram turns to Sari. One night, my sister Miriam met a Christian boy at a town dance. The next morning, morning, my grandfather called him to the house and told him, if she betrays her religion, she'll betray you. And this was at 13. Don't you dare say anything so cruel to that poor girl. It's just a story. It's not just a story, Avram. Sari summons a host's smile and approaches Uncle Yehuda, leaving Avram alone to contemplate. As he does, he spots young Sandor sitting alone, glumly staring down at the floor. Avram walks over, lifts his young son's face up with his index finger, and smiles. One sip. Exterior dirt road simultaneously. An idling car engine cuts through the silence of the warm summer night. The car's driver wears a royal Hungarian Gondomarese uniform. We'll come to know him as Captain Tibor, early 30s, deep blue eyes, military bearing. Tibor shuts off the ignition, cups his ear, and smiles as he hears the faintest echoes of the song by Mir Bistashane by the Andrews sisters. The captain steals himself, adjusts his cap, and turns on the ignition. Interior Cat's family barn simultaneously. Under by Mir Bistushane, Dolph and Inga as they dance. Inga's mouthing the words to the song. I could say Bella, Bella, even Sebundabari's language only helps me tell you how grand you are. Wolf approaches, puts his arm around Dolph. Can I borrow him? By all means. Wolf ushers Dove away. Well done, brother. Stay in town long enough and you'll meet our nursing school friends. Devora seems more hyperactive than usual. Has Papa taken her to see Dr. Stein? They believe she may have a precursor to what Grandmother had. But there's no way to tell for sure. Truth is, I'm also worried for her. As Wolf and Dove watch Devora dance with a carefree rhythm, they hear a series of melodic claps from off-screen. Find Sari, pointedly strutting into the center of the barn, clapping in a specific clap. Clap, 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 pattern. As if guided by a beat that is unknown to us, but everyone in the room is joyously familiar with it. Soon the entire party is clapping in complete harmony until... Uncle Yehuda steps into frame as he blows the opening bars of Kletzmer version of Hava Nagila on his clarinet. Wolf and Dole exchange a smile as the party erupts with excited roar. It's a horror. Guests sing and continue to clap as... Series of shots. Dove and Wolf and Isaac circle up and begin whirling fast. Guests form a concentric circle around the brothers, running counterclockwise. Avram and Isaac dance, and Avram and Dove. Dove dragging Inga into the circle with his family. Avram shooting Sari a glance. Sari judiciously grabs Inga's hand, and the circle continues turning. Isaac and Bella dance. Isaac raising his son above his head. Bella turns to Isaac. I love that crib your grandfather sent us. So lavish. We must have bought it on Baxi Street. Isaac smiles tenderly. There's something about his expression that tells us Isaac may not love Bella as much as he should. Suddenly, the outer circle stops dancing, and Uncle Yehuda's clarinet play trails off. Something's caught their attention. What they see. At the barn's entrance stands Captain Tibor, 
his deep blue eyes embedded with a stony expression, unmoved by the celebration. Echoes of the Andrews sisters and Yehuda's clarinet can be heard from up the road. The room's silent, the atmosphere icy. Captain Tibor's presence creates an air of tension. Avram approaches him. We're celebrating, Captain Tibor. It's my grandson's bris. Isaac Karyanos presents the baby to the captain. Captain, my first son, Yanos. A fine-looking boy. Allow us to fix you a plate. I would do well with a plate. But first, Captain Tibor indicates Inga. Inga, your father wants you home. <sighs> my father mistakes me for a child. A fact you might discuss with him in person. Captain, she's my guest. Captain Tibor pointedly measures dough for a beat. Then, young cats. Allow me to return her to her father to alleviate the old Magus worries. Out of the corner of his eye, Dove sees Wolf has drawn a buck knife. Dove ever so slightly shakes his head no, a signal to his brother. Stand down. The carpenter has no worries. His daughter's among friends. I am. Thank you for your diligence, Captain, but the night's still young. There's music, and my escort will see me home. Captain Tibor processes this, knows he can't press further, and forces a wobbly smile. I, it appears my work here is done. Rabbi, I will take that plate of food. As long as Mrs. Katz hollows on it for gravy dipping. Isaac and Avram lead Captain Tibor toward the food table. Avram shoots a stern look at Wolf. Somehow, perhaps as his father's omniscience, he knew Wolf's violent intentions. As Dove and Inga watch Captain Tibor stack his food plate. Tibor's a liar. My father would never have asked him to come here. How do you know? Because my father doesn't know about us. Off Dove. This news coming as a surprise. The camera pulls back, taking in the entirety of the party. Find young Sandor huddled in the corner, drinking a glass of wine. Interior Avram and Sari's bedroom, Kat's family home late night. Avram sits on the edge of the bed, Dove and Inga's courtship weighing on his mind. Sari combs her hair in the mirror. When I was younger, when the empire was strong, they said Jew. Be a good Hungarian. And as a good Hungarian, even though I was a rabbi, I raised our children to be good Hungarians. That meant attending Gentile schools, having Gentile friends. In all ways, they'd be Magyar except in their faith. And you believe you were wrong? 24 years of parenting undone because Dove brings home a shiksa? If it opened the door for him to stray from our traditions, from God, then yes. They were intimate, sorry. I saw the wild look in his eyes when Tibor spoke her name. I know that look. There's nothing you can do to stop him. No more than my father could stop you. He's a man now, Avram. He's just following his heart. If he's truly a man, perhaps it's not his heart he's following. <laughs> I never thought it would be him. Wolf, yes, Devora, not him. Under which Sari, feeling the stress resonate from Avram, approaches him. 
maneuvering herself in between his legs and kissing him on the lips. It's tender. Turn down the lights. What? No, not now. If he's following his heart, sorry, I have to follow mine. Avram, attempt to take away his happiness and he'll hate you forever. Once a son turns on his father, the wound never heals. You of all people know that. Avram considers his father's letter resting ominously on the nightstand. The envelope still sealed, the letter unread. Sari steps away from Avram, walks to her side of the bed. Turn down the light. I'm tired. Interior synagogue, early morning. Find Avram alone, standing at the bima, donning a talus, facing the Ark of the Torah. He davens, rocking back and forth as he recites holy prayers aloud. A few rabbinical students walk through the sanctuary, careful not to disturb him. They stop and listen. Tears leak from their eyes at the power of Avram's prayer. After a beat, one student nudges the others for them to move off. They do. At the conclusion of Avram's prayer, he pulls out the envelope containing Moshe's letter. It's time. He removes the letter and slowly reads, his facial expression turning grim. What did it say? Off which we end episode one. Drawing on our Jewish values and history, for over a century, Hyas has been there for refugees when and where they need help most. Now, in more than 20 countries around the world, we provide vital services to refugees and asylum seekers and advocate for their fundamental rights so they can rebuild their lives. Together, we can help create a world in which refugees find welcome, safety, and opportunity. To donate, volunteer, or for more ways to get involved, please visit www.hyas.org. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.